Okay, um, we, we were having a conversation about you are as you ought to be. And after the conversation, I walked away and thought, am I believing wrong? Did I not say this completely or whatever? So I'm going to share what, how I see I am as I ought to be mm -hmm. and then expound on it and then you can say and Then the floor will be open and everyone can comment. Yeah. So to me, when I say I am as I ought to be, to me that means I possess eternal life, the Holy Spirit is inside of me, and I lack nothing for life, for the God life. Even though there is fruit that hasn't manifested in my life, there's still things that hasn't changed, but I'm still as I ought to be. And so if that fruit manifests in a couple of days, it had no bearing on I'm still as I ought to be. It's just that the Lord continually washes out what is not of his life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, That sounds pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> I, I sign up for that. What's the question? <laughs> totally yeah. So do you have the other side of some confusing thoughts that you thought... Well, worked against what you just said? Because when I said, um, even though there's not fruit in my life of certain things. Or bad fruit. Or, mean. Well, bad fruit, yeah. Mm -hmm. The other, you know, all of the stuff has not washed out. Because I've always loved the scripture, the good work the Lord begun in me, he will continue until my fullness, which yeah. my fullness is when I have my immortal body. Yeah. So, but when I said about not having the fruit, that if in a couple of days that some fruit manifests, I'm still as I ought to be. And so I think there was, it was like confusion that I was saying, I'm not as I ought to be because that fruit hasn't manifested. Yeah. But it goes back to what you believe, what is who you are that you ought to be. Yeah. It's, it goes back to how you're going to define that to begin with. And one way to define, and so just so everybody knows, that statement, um, as you ought to be, in the scriptures, that's what the word justified, justified would mean. So when you read justified, if you look at that in the Greek, it would be a person that is uh, in the state that they ought to be, or to be declared to be as you ought to be. Righteous would be another word that has that phraseology in it. To be in the state that you ought to be in is what the word righteous would mean. And the, the differences between how you judge that is are you going to judge it by the knowledge of good and evil? Are you going to judge it by the Son of God? And we'll just draw a comparison. Because there's the wisdom of the world or the carnal mind, and it has a way of judging something whether or not it is as it ought to be. And then there's the mind of Christ that has a way of judging that, right? We'll just use the world right now. Imagine if we judge something and whether or not it was as it ought to be by the state of what we see in the world. In your example, the fruit we see manifesting in our life. We tend to want to look at our lives around us and what we see in the world around us to determine if we are as we ought to be or not, right? That's, we're always weighing that, right? Now, imagine we did that with God. 
And just so you know, the world does it all the time. Absolutely. It does. Okay? So what do we see in the world? Do we see only good? I mean, sometimes, let's just be honest, we struggle to see half as good right now. I mean, we might even be down at like 10 or 20% that is good. Now, God is Father. He's the creator of the world. Now, imagine we looked at what's in the world and judged God to be not as he ought to be, which is what people do all the time. Why do you think you ever feel forsaken? Why do you ever think you feel the feeling of, where's God now? Because the thought is trying to come to you that God is not as he ought to be because look at what you see. Right? And so that's why I preached that, that message a couple weeks ago about the justification that comes from life. Because it declares that God is as he ought to be and then it declares that you are as you ought to be. Right? And so the metric by which you judge whether you're in the state that you should be in in the eyes of God, in, in your own eyes, and in, in, in everybody else's eyes. The metric that you use is just like you said. Do I possess eternal life or not? Do I have the Holy Spirit, which is the spirit of life, or not? Do I have that or not? Because the state God created you to be in is a state where you have a life that can never die. That's the state he created you to be in. And so if you've received Jesus... Meaning, you see that God come to give you life as a gift, and that life that he come to give you as a gift is in his son Jesus, and you say, yeah, I'll take that as a gift. I see I can't work to give myself that life, and I see you did a work to give me that life, free from my self-effort and my willpower. I will receive that. You are in the state that you ought to be in. Because you were created to receive life as a gift from God. And that that life would dwell in you, and that life would, you know, ultimately raise you up on the last day, like you said, into a glorified, immortal body, just like we see it did in the Lord Jesus. Right? Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing with God. God is called Father. We all have an opinion about what a father should be. Because when we see people that ain't acting like a father, we are not benign to that. Like, we like, what's wrong with them? And ladies, maybe even more, because you guys have had to deal with some scoundrels, right? And, you know, it's easier for me to love the scoundrels than you, because I ain't had to date the scoundrels, right? But I have some dear friends that, man, you know, they've had rough lives, and they are scoundrels. It's easier for me to love them than for the women they've dated. <laughs> Let me just say that. So we all have a view of what a father should be, right? A father ought to be this way. Well, if they don't look that way, then we say they aren't as they ought to be. Well, we don't realize the connections we make with God. We've actually created God in the image of a deadbeat dad. And the world has created God in the image of a deadbeat dad. Because if he's father, then what the heck is going on here? What is going on in my life if he's really as he ought to be as father? Because I need a life that isn't being corrupted. I need a life that isn't suffering harm. I need a life that can't be taken from, that can't be hurt. I need my life to be protected. Where are you, God? Right? And so the world tries to create an image that God is not as he ought to be. And it points to all the hell going on. Look. Where's your God now? If he really is Father, where is he? Okay? Well, Jesus declares that God is as he ought to be his Father. Do you know how he does that? He manifests a life that overcomes death. And that life came from the Father. So do you know what we all need? A life that overcomes death. 
We need a life that overcomes the tribulation in the world. We need a life that can serve us with peace and love and joy, that can uphold us, that can comfort us, that can protect us even as we walk through a world that's shadowed with death. That's the kind of life we need. And so if there was a father that was as they ought to be, then they would be serving us with that kind of a life. A life that will even raise up these mortal bodies into immortality. A life that can bring forth peace and love and joy even should everything crumble around you. That's the kind of father we need. And so we see that God is that father because he poured out of himself a life that overcame the grave. A life that isn't at the mercy of the world. It can't be corrupted by bad politicians. I know we all, we, listen guys, the politicians in the world are all bad. But I promise you, in Jesus' day, those politicians were worse. <laughs> well, we see that in Jesus was a life that was not at the mercy of the politicians. It was not at the mercy of the corrupt Roman soldiers. It was not even at the mercy of the cross. Because when the cross came and he got nailed to the cross, the life he had in himself, it came out of the grave. Right. And it came out of the grave in a body that could never be touched by sin or death again. Well, that life came from the Father. That's the kind of life we need. I need the kind of life that can't be stolen from, that can't be corrupted by all the sin and death that's in this world. Well, I see God gave me that kind of a life in Jesus. And I see he displayed what his life can do in the presence of death in Jesus. You know what that starts telling me? God is as he ought to be, as Father. Right? And, and that's justification. God had to be justified in our eyes. And that's what the devil was telling Jesus. The devil was actually telling Jesus, God is not as he ought to be. That's the Pharisee standing there. Where's your God now? You called God Father? Let him come for you if he'll have you. Looks like he's abandoned you to me. Right? That's what we all hear. That's what the serpent wants to convince all of us, that God is not as he ought to be his Father. Because if we don't think that God's as he ought to be is the one that will serve us with peace and love and joy and life, you know what we're going to start living like? An orphan. Yeah. And then you know what we're going to try to do? We're going to try to gather peace and love and joy to ourselves. And we're going to do it through money. We're going to do it through relationships. We're going to do it through jobs. We're going to do it through whatever you can find under the sun. Right? But when God brought forth his life in the flesh of a man, that looked like the worst sinner that had ever lived. When he brought forth his life in a man that looked like the most disgusting, the most despised, the most rejected, the weakest. The, they said there was nothing of beauty to behold in him. When he brought forth the life we all need inside of that guy, do you know what it declared? God is as he ought to be as father. Because God will even come and serve people with life that are dead in sin. Like the psalmist said, even should I make my bell in he hell, even should I make my bed in hell, you are with me, Lord. Do you, do you see what he's saying? To use Deb's language, you are as you ought to be. Because even should I make myself a bed in the pits of death, which David did. David made a bed in the pit of death. I mean, he saw Bathsheba bathing on the rooftop. And he coveted his neighbor's wife. And do you see what came forth in him in that place? I mean, he didn't just go lay with his neighbor's wife, but he plotted to have the guy dead so he could be married to the wife. That's what David's talking about. Even though iniquity was in my heart, 
And even though I made my bed in hell and all this destruction came upon me, you were there with me, Lord. Right? And, and so that's the argue as you ought to be. And I just want to use this language. We were created to have a sinless life. A sinless life. And I use that language on purpose. Because all of us already have a definition of what a sinless life looks like. Right? And so you're probably thinking, well, what is a sinless life? When the scriptures talk about a sinless life, it's talking about a life that has no death in it. It's talking about a life that doesn't have a spot and a blemish in it. That's the kind of life you were created to have. Now the question you should all be asking yourselves is, do I have a sinless life? Well, do you see any death in Jesus? Do you see any spots and blemishes in Jesus? No. Okay, well, whose life do you have? Jesus. This life. And joint heirs with him. Okay. If, the, and if you've believed on Jesus, if you've looked at the life in the world, and you said, that life can't serve me with peace and love and joy, but that life I see in Jesus is the Father coming to serve me with peace and love and joy. And you've received and accepted the life God has. Meaning you called God Father. You said, yes, Lord, come and father my life. I've been looking in the world trying to see my life fathered. And every time the world tries to father my life, do you know what it fathers for me? A life full of spots and blemishes. That's why the world will always tell you you're not as you ought to be. Do you know why? Because the life the world has fathered is a life that's full of spots and blemishes. We're... You're old enough now, too. We're all old enough in this room to see, despite our best efforts, despite our best intentions in this world, we have spots and blemishes on the life that we have in this world, don't we? All of us do. Well, there's good news for you. The world ain't your father, and your life ain't come from the world. So when you look at your life and you look to determine whether you have a life that is as it ought to be or not, behold Jesus. That's what Paul would come and say, set your affection above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, for your life is hid in Him. Right. And so when you, when you think about your life, the world is all the time trying to get you to look at what's going on around you. And you know what it's trying to do through that? You're not as you ought to be. Right. And God's not as He ought to be. You're not as you ought to be, and God's not as you ought to be. Do you know what that gives birth to inside of you? It's what we would call the orphan spirit. An orphan that thinks... They're all alone, and they don't have anyone taking thought to care for their life. And what happens when an orphan feels that way? They steal, kill, and destroy, trying to take care of themselves. I mean, you've seen it probably a lot with kids in school, where you could see, oh my, look how they're acting. And you could see that born inside of them. And so the world fathers a life that's full of spots and blemishes. Well, we were created to have a life without spots and blemishes. So the world's always telling us, you're not as you ought to be, and neither is God. God's like we got to do something to declare to them that they are as they ought to be and that we are as we ought to be. So we're going to come and give them our life because our life has no spots and blemishes. Our life has no death in it. 
And we're going to take our life and put it inside of a flesh that's filled with all spots and blemishes. And then we're going to let our life well up inside of that flesh that's got all death in it. And we're going to let that life push out all the spots and blemishes. And there's going to sit a human body that's been glorified with immortality. And there's no spots or blemishes in that life. Then we're going to sit that life on high at God at the right hand of the Father. Then we're going to pour out the Holy Spirit onto all flesh and show them a life without spot and blemish and tell them how the Father came to give them that life. And we're going to tell them to live their days in this world beholding their life in Jesus because that will always tell them that they are as they ought to be. Right? That's how the whole thing will go down. And that's what justification is about. God is trying to persuade you that you're as you ought to be and he is as he ought to be. And he sees you're in a world that's all the time telling you you're not. And that when it convinces you that you're not as you ought to be, do you know what you're filled with? Depression, sorrow, sadness, anger, frustration, confusion. And then do you know what you start doing? You start lashing out. And that lashing out could look like a lot of different things. For me, when I was a kid, the lashing out was, I'm going to get so high every day that I don't feel nothing. Because what's going on in there is so bad that I can't take it. You know what was going on in there? I'm not as I ought to be and neither is God. Right? Because there's something else we know about Father. If a guy was actually the kind of father he was supposed to be, he would love his kids even should his kids be full of death and hell. Well, do you know what I had going on in my heart? I'm not as I ought to be. I couldn't cope with it. And then I started getting high all the time. And do you know what that told me? God isn't as he ought to be because at that time I thought if I'm getting high all the time, God can't love me. Look at me. If I feel like this about myself, God is greater than my heart. He must certainly be feeling the same way. Right? And so that's the the power of I am as I ought to be. And so the question is, when you think about that, where are you weighing it from? Are you weighing it from the life you see in the world? Or are you weighing it from the life you see in the Lord Jesus? Right? And so if a person is an unbeliever, they, they're dead in sin, meaning they're, they're in death. They haven't been translated from death to life. They're not as they ought to be. And that doesn't mean that God doesn't think they're beautiful or that God doesn't love them. He's not looking at them and thinking they're not as they ought to be means that they're bad boys and girls. What he's thinking of is it's not right that my child, whom I created, to have a life that never dies and for their heart to be filled with love, it's not right that they should be dying. And it's not right that their heart should be stung with fear. That's not as it ought to be. That's how he would look at it. Right? Do you see the difference there? So when you come and try and make a statement like everybody's righteous, I understand what some people mean when they say that. And based on what they mean, that might be an accurate statement. But based on what the scriptures mean, that's an inaccurate statement. Because if someone hasn't believed on Jesus, they don't have eternal life. So they cannot be in the state they were created to be in. Right? Now, if your definition of righteous is that God thinks every person is a treasure and every person is beautiful in his sight, if that's your definition, then that's a true statement. But that's not how the scriptures use that word. Right? And so even a sinner... The word sinner, when we think of the word sinner, we think of a person that's very bad and done very bad things. And we confuse that with their identity. We use the terminology sinner and saint to define someone's personhood. 
But in the scriptures, the word sinner just means not to be partaking in life. And so a sinner is just someone who's dying. Someone who doesn't have eternal life. It has nothing to do with their personhood. It has nothing to do with their identity. And a saint would just be someone that's received eternal life. Right? They've heard the voice of the Father calling them out from the world. We were all playing in the world. All the time trying to live in the house that's in the world. Thinking that the world is our Father. That's where we all were. Well, then all of a sudden, God came and found us. And he said, you guys are not the offspring of the world. You are not the children of the world. I'm your father. And the saints are the called out ones. They're the ones that heard the father say, come home. You have an inheritance stored up for yourself in me. The world is not your inheritance. The earth is our inheritance, but not an earth where there's death in. We're going to inherit an earth that God glorifies, where there's no sin or death anywhere. And so the, the saints, it's not an identity marker. It means those who have heard the voice of the Father. And they come home. Right? Those that heard that, you know what? The Father is not despising me for my sin. The Father is not ashamed of me for my sin. The Father is... is finds no fault in me. The Father just wants me to come home. The fault that he finds is I'm supposed to be in the house and I'm not here. See, we look at it differently. We think the Father's upset because of all the bad behavior of the people. As if God needs us to behave good so he can be happy. That would make our behavior the God of God. God's not waiting for you to behave well so he can be happy with you. I promise you, his life is greater than your bad behavior. And if you want to put it to the test, let's do an experiment. Because God's life was in Jesus. What did he think about the people nailing him to a tree? Was he angry with them because of their bad behavior? No. What did he say? They don't know what they're doing. You see how he saw deeper into their heart? And he saw what was bringing this forth in them? That's demonstrating God. That's like the Father embracing us while we're doing the worst thing that a kid could ever do, we're killing our father. And you know what he's doing? He's embracing us and telling us, I know. I know what's going on in you. I get it. It's okay. It's okay. I know that death has taken you captive. I know the world has convinced you that you have to preserve your own life. I know the world has convinced you that you have to clothe yourself with life. I know that the serpent has fathered his hatred and murder and envy inside of you through his death. It's okay, I'm here. I'm blowing that death up right now from the inside out. I have absorbed that death into my body right now. I have absorbed all your sin, all your hatred, all your anger, all your frustration, all your confusion into this body right now. And I'm about to take it all down into the grave and I'm coming out as everlasting father. And I'm going to show you that I drew near to you when you nailed me to a cross to serve you with the life that overcomes death. Amen. And you start knowing God as father. Right. You start seeing he is as he ought to be. Because a father, if you smack a father across the face, if a son comes and smacks the father across the face, do you know what a father that is as he ought to be would do? Turn and give him the other cheek. I still remember to this day when I was at the height of my anger and addiction and frustration. I was like 16 years old. And I was just cussing out my dad. My mom's there, but my dad was the... The, the center of the vitriol. And I was just telling him how much I hated him. I was telling him how I can't wait to get the hell out of this house. I can't get, wait to get the hell away from you. And you know what he looked at me and said? Craig, listen, man. 
I've never tried to keep you from doing what you want to do. And he did not get upset. He could have started running down the laundry list of all the horrible things I did to this guy. Of which one was when I overdosed and died in a hospital and they had me strapped down to a bed and he's sitting in the room crying after having like alerted the emergency people to shock me back to life nine times. I look over at him and say, what the hell's your problem? And so when I crucified him that day in the midst, he didn't have one evil word to say about me and what I had done to him. He was father, right? That's what a father, well, that's what we see God doing in the person of Jesus. There we are blaming him for all our hell. There we are smacking him across the face, spitting on him, mocking him, stripping him naked. That's father. Father could have wiped us all out if he wanted to. But he didn't. And he didn't have to use his willpower to do it. Right? Because he is as he ought to be. He said, I'm going to absorb all this hell into myself. All this hell that's come upon my kids. Get it out. Get it out, man. Right? Here I am. It's okay. Get it out. Right? Because I am Father. And I will not return evil for evil. I mean, when the Scriptures talk about not pay paying evil with evil, it's talking about Father. Right? Who's the only one that if you nail to a tree isn't going to return evil for that evil? Father. We come and nailed him to a tree. You know what he gave us? Eternal life. Hallelujah. He is as he ought to be. Amen. You see? And our seeing him for who he actually is gives birth to that in us. Amen. That's, what, that's where it comes from. That's, that's what I was going to say. So when we see him as he ought to be his father, we can then see ourselves as we ought to be as sons and daughters. That's right. We could see his life manifest in us. But we don't judge whether we, as we ought to be, based on whether we try to come down off the cross or not. Right. We judge it by, do I have a sinless life? Right. Sinless life, not based on, do I do everything outwardly perfectly? Right. A sinless life on is, do I have the life of Jesus? Right? Yes. Does that make sense? Because the... The temptation that's common to human beings that the scriptures talk about is the temptation to judge your life by the life you see in the world. That's, the, that's what the scriptures call the evil day or the day of temptation. The evil day or the day of temptation was when Jesus was nailed to the tree, right? Because did it look like Jesus was as he ought to be when he was nailed to the tree? But was he? <laughs> do you see how that's why Paul would come and say that the wisdom of God is foolishness to the wisdom of the world none of us would look at Jesus and say he is as he ought to be none of us would none of us would look at Jesus and say God is as he ought to be and in fact we've created like a lot of heresy in our doctrines because we've looked at Jesus and said he isn't as he ought to be and neither is God because God abandoned him well, we know God didn't abandon me because Jesus' own word says in John, now is the hour where the prince of this world will come to me, meaning I'm going to be crucified. Everyone's going to scatter for me. It's going to look like I'm alone, but I won't be alone because the Father will be with me. Amen. Paul comes and says God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. Right. Jesus is God. Hallelujah. 
So no, I I mean I know I I went off on a tangent, but well no, I mean it, it, it's all it was all good. I I agree. Expounded on it and stuff. I agree in your assessment there, and I think it's exactly right. And what you described is the justification of life. Yes. Right. God declare came to declare us as we ought to be. The way He does it is He gives us His life. That life starts screaming. To the world, they are the sons and daughters of God because they have my life. Amen. That's the justification that comes from life. And that life starts persuading us. There's a growing up that we see in the world, even amongst humans. Like, you know, my dear mother here, I don't know how much hell she went through to give birth to me, but I didn't come out like this. Right? I, I couldn't talk. I, I'm drooling on myself. I'm throwing up all the time. I'm urinating on myself. i got diapers. Right? There was a growing up, a maturation. My brain was even growing. Right? It didn't finish growing until I'm like 25. And so there was a growing up. Well, there's a growing up or a maturation that occurs in the Lord. Right? You come to the Lord because you hear what He's done to save you from sin and death. And so you come to the Lord, but the maturation is that you start to learn to discern your life in the body of Jesus instead of discerning your life in the world. That's the maturation of a believer or a Christian. And if I speak from my own perspective, I lived through a lot of hell. Because it took me a lot of years to figure that out. And so every time all hell would, would like the walls would start crumbling, and the walls came tumbling down, right? Every time that happened, I would, where are you, Lord? And I would immediately start thinking, it's got to be something I've done, right? And man, that was torment. But what I realized is I was living by the knowledge of good and evil. I was judging my life by what I saw in the world instead of judging my life by what I saw in the Lord Jesus. And that was a growing process where I, I, I learned that truth. And then I started connecting with God about that truth to where I'm at the point now where I never judge my life by what I see in the world. That doesn't mean I don't feel grief because we all know death ain't right. Why do you think you feel upset when things aren't going right? Because you know death isn't right. And so I still feel grief, but the moment I see that death and I know death isn't right, I immediately start to think of, but where's my life? I remember God said to me clearly one day when I was lamenting with him about all the hell in my life, whose life do you have, Greg? And I was like, oh, I keep talking to you about the life that's in the world, but you keep trying to talk to me about the life I have in you. And there was like a disconnect. But then, man, listen, you start, you start to see the truth. You still feel grief when you encounter things that are born from death. But in that place, you start to know the truth and you start to connect with God Amen. about the grief that you feel. Right. right? And you start to connect with God about what He did to deliver you from the death you say isn't right. And you start seeing how God got it right to liberate your life from being held in the world. And He hid your life with Him in Christ. And you start seeing, oh, there's my life. And then you examine that life you see in Jesus real closely. You know what you never find? You never find any death. You never find any sin. You never find any crookedness. You never find anything that isn't wrong. That isn't right, I mean. And do you know what that starts telling you? Your life is very good. The world is all the time telling you one thing you lack. One thing you lack. Look. And listen, there's all kinds of stuff in the world. I think 10 things you lack. <laughs> I mean, right off the bat, I don't have any hair. I mean, so we're on to like the two, the three, the fourth, the fifth thing that I lack. 
And so the world will always say one thing you lack. But God will always put your life on display in your midst inside of Jesus. And you know what that life will always tell you? You lack nothing. Which is why the psalmist says in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I do not lack. That's what they're talking about. The Father has shepherded my life. And he has come and corralled my life into himself. My life is hid in him. And he is hid in me. Well, if there's no lack in him, and if the world can't snuff God out, then how can the world snuff me out? And how can I ever say there's lack in me? Oh, hallelujah. And that's when you start finding Psalm 23 born inside of you. Not because you read it and you think it sounds right, and you think if you were a good boy or a girl, that's what you would say. It's, it's been born in you, and you realize, man, I really do lack nothing. My cup runneth over. Yea, do I walk through a valley shadowed by death. What's the death? The death is not just going to the grave one day. The death is any lack you see in your life. Everybody in here can point to something they see in their life that they would say is filled with lack. Yep. Yep. Everybody in here. Yep. Everyone. Right? But what does the psalmist say? That he lacks nothing. His cup runs over. He talks about being surrounded by death. Mm-hmm. In the presence of my enemies. He's not talking about, I'm walking in the field of dandelions and everything is just green rolling hills and beautiful flowers and therefore my cup runneth over. No, he's talking about the enemy that has surrounded him. The previous chapter, he says, the bulls of Bashan have surrounded me. They're gaping on me. They're mocking me. They're spitting on me. They're pulling my bones and joints out of socket. (laughs) In the midst of that, that's the valley shadowed by death. This guy comes and says, I lack nothing. My cup runneth over. How does he say that? He tells us, even though I'm surrounded by this death and I see spots and blemishes all around me, even some in me, even though that's where I'm at, I see the life that's in the Father. Right. And the life that's in the Father is lifted up in my heart, not the death I see all around me. That's why I can say, my cup runneth over. Because when I think of my life, I don't think of this death that's all around me. I think of the life I see in the Father. And the Father's life is like a well of living water. It is uh, uncontainable. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. You see that? Yeah. And so your entire Christian life, I, I, I could say a lot of complicated things, but we'll boil it down to this one simple thing. You're learning to identify with the life you see in Jesus instead of identifying with the life you see in the world. Yes. And you want to know everything that ails your life? Everything that ails your life comes from you seeing yourself as being intertwined with this world instead of intertwined with God. It's that simple. And you want to know what sustained Jesus when he walked through the hell in this world? He was all the time talking with the Father about how he was in the Father and the Father was in him. And so when he would, I mean, he would go weeks without eating food. You think his flesh didn't tell him something was wrong with that? I mean, listen, we miss a meal and we start like, my belly starts growling. You think that Jesus' flesh didn't try and tell him, are we ever going to eat, dude? We're dying. But he was all the time talking with the Father about the life they shared from the beginning. And he was all the time receiving nutrients from that life. And that life was always telling him, Jesus, I know the whole world is telling you you're not as you ought to be. But he saw the life that he had with the Father, and that life kept telling him, you are as you ought to be. And, and the best part is, when you have something, because 
on, on Friday, it's like something just didn't set with me. It's like, am I believing wrong? Did I not say it correctly, you know? And I just started talking with the Lord. It's like, okay, Lord, if I'm believing something wrong, bring forth what I'm missing here and stuff. And it, he led me to a couple of messages, and I listened to them, just sat and listened and talked with him, because he never gives up on us. Yeah. He, he's pricking us when there's something he's pricking us. And it's, follow that prick. I mean, he was pricking Paul when Paul was even stoning Stephen. Yeah. You know, he was like, pursuing Paul <coughs> through his hatred for Stephen. Just in light of being... Wait, hold on. Are you finished? Because well, I, I cut you off. Well, I was just going to say, and it's like everything, it, it kept coming. No, Deb, you are believing right. And he's working on me with communication because a lot of times... I believe something and I don't give the full picture when I'm talking. It's like what I shared with you. Um, when I was in college, we had to give instructions on how to put something together. And it's amazing how when you know how to do something, all the assumptions you make for that, those steps and stuff. And so in all of this, he's working on me with that as well is to be more detailed in what I'm thinking. Yeah. Fill out the picture for everybody. Fill out the picture. Yeah, and you grow in that. Yeah. I had to grow in that. Matt? But just, and I think I'm seeing something in the heart of what you're saying, Deb. So I'm going to ask Greg, I'm going to put him in a position of being vulnerable because I know he don't mind that. So you're saying what if we see something in our life manifesting that doesn't pertain to life okay so what i would ask greg is if in light of everything that's been said this morning i've heard you say recently that uh, something that that you've been looking at is you feel like you're always pressed for time but yet you don't see that in the life of jesus so What's the how? How do you process that? T talk to us about how you're walking through that, or if you'd rather talk about something that you've already walked through. Well, I think what what first happens is God leads you to the place where you don't judge your life by that, right? I used to judge my life all the time by the lack that I saw. Well, I think what grace, the message of Jesus, first comes to do, where you no longer judge your life by the good or the evil that you you think you see around you. What that does is it brings you to God and you start having honest conversations with God about what's going on when you're in your time of need. That's what Hebrews would talk about, help in your time of need. That you come to the throne of grace with boldness, with an unconcealed heart, that you might obtain mercy and find grace in your time of need, right? Grace to help in your time of need. Well, you're never coming to God if you're judging your life as evil when you see that those things. So the first thing God did was I stopped judging my life by the fruit I saw. I started judging my life by what I saw in Jesus. That started telling me that I'm safe in the presence of the Lord. I'm safe in the presence of God. He's filled with compassion towards me, right? And so, man, that, that just brought me to God to have honest conversations with God where you don't feel ashamed of your nakedness, right? Does that make sense? Yeah. 
Yeah, and so that's, that's what I would say. You need to have honest conversations with God about what's going on in your life if you're experiencing hell. The wisdom in the world would be working against you being able to have those honest conversations because it would accuse God to you and it will accuse you to you. And if you feel accused and, and God is accusing your heart, guess what? You ain't coming into his house. Neither are you coming to him. You feeling isolated. Anybody ever felt isolated? Anybody ever felt like they were all alone? That's why you feel it. And what the gospel has done is it's removed that from my heart, the accusation from my heart. I'm blameless in my own heart now because I see God doesn't blame me when he finds me dead in sin. And God's blameless in my heart because I see that when God finds me dead in my sin, he comes and picks me up. Right? So we're both blameless now. That creates this dynamic that if I see something in my life that's born from death and not life, like I'm running into the lap, the lap of Abba. I've become as a little child now where I'm just living in innocence, right? And I'm running and jumping in the lap of Abba and I'm just start, I'm talking with God about what I feel. I'm talking with God about what I see. I'm talking with God about who he is. And through the course of that, what happens is, is I find God gives birth to himself in me, right? He gives birth to life in me because he's father. And it always happens that way. It always happens that way. Don't just count the questions you ask God, the, the confusion you feel. If you feel confusion, get it out of yourself towards God. Tell him, right? That's what the word boldness in the Hebrew means, unconcealed heart. We've kind of been taught, well, we can't really come to God with an unconcealed heart because he might be angry with what we might say. I mean, he's the almighty, right? We come tiptoeing into the presence of God. And we're like, man, I know I'm naked, but I tried to clothe myself a little bit. Can I be in here with you? You know? That's not an unconcealed heart. And so through the course of just being raw with God, because He's blameless in your sight, and you know you're blameless in His sight. And you think God finds fault with you because you try to come down off the cross? I'm going to get into this today. We don't think of these things spiritually. We see someone with the works of the flesh in their life, and we just judge them to be, you know, an evil SOB. You know what God sees when he finds a person with the works of the flesh manifesting out of them? He sees someone trying to come down off the cross. He sees someone trying to clothe themselves. He sees someone fighting to have life. The thing about a human is, is a human doesn't have life in themselves. So if a human's fighting to bring forth life, do you know what they're going to bring forth? Envy, hatred, gossiping, backbiting. All those kinds of a thing. And what I realized, I'm going to get into this today, but what I realized is, and I'll say things that will shock people, and then I'll explain it. God's actually the only one that can resist sin. He knows that. We don't. We judge ourselves. If we think we're not, He doesn't. Right? And especially once death came into the picture. Hebrews would go on to say, uh, do not consider yourselves, for you have not strived against sin unto blood. Looking unto Jesus. He's talking about the evil day. When the sin that so easily besets us. He says, don't consider your own strength and your own ability. But God's the only one that ain't coming down off the cross. And he knows that. And so I started realizing all the things I found fault in myself about. He came and gave me a different picture. He said, Greg, you realize you're despising yourself because you're trying to come down off the cross. That's what it is. He said, do you, he said, you were a lifeguard, Greg. Do you despise someone drowning when they're flailing around and hitting you in the face? No. Why not? Because they're fighting to live. 
Well, Greg, that's how I view it when I see things coming out of you that are full of death. I see you fighting to live. You think I feel ashamed of you because you're fighting to live? You think I don't know that in your heart's eternity and that you were created to live and not die? You think I don't know what happens inside of a person's heart when they want life and they think they don't have it? And so God's the only one that can resist sin. And when you think about resisting sin, you should think about resisting death. God's the only one that could be at rest in the presence of death manifesting in him. He's the only one. He's the only one. Now, he's Father, so he can resist in you if he can get your eyes fixated on him. Right? That's, that's the ultimate form of forgiveness. Yeah. Is yes. to look at the Father and see yourself in him and to have the same life that is in him. Yeah. You find yourself <laughs> sinless. And if you find yourself sinless, that means that you have been separated or forgiven of your sins. And at, at that point, you can live a life of overcoming in, in this world that's that right. we live in. That's right. Because when you look at the deaths in the world, you don't think that that thing's taking your life. So you don't have to strive to attain to a life that's already been given to you freely in Him. A life that is free from sin and death. That's right. And to, to bring it back, that's why I felt blameless in the presence of God. Because I always thought resisting sin and striving against sin was, I got to use my willpower not to do this bad thing. Right, right, right. Not to do bad stuff. But then God was like, no, 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 Greg. Striving against sin looks like striving against death. Yes. And I was like, hmm. Yes. And he says, in youth, he says, and immediately I thought, I can't strive against death. Like, there's no confusion for me in that place. Like, all of a sudden I realized, I can't resist death. And do you know what that did for me immediately? Neither did God ever think I could. That created in me a blameless heart in His sight. I saw how He viewed me. And immediately I felt compassion in His heart. I felt love in His eyes. I saw there was mercy for me in Him. And then I would come to Him and talk about what's going on. But God's the only one that's resting when He's nailed to a tree. I promise you. He's the only one that ain't coming down off the cross. He knows he's the only one not coming off the cross. Why do you think he came? Right? And so he doesn't despise us. And if you start thinking about sin right, and you start seeing that the wages of sin is death, and that resisting sin means to resist death. God's the only one who can resist death in the flesh. He's the only one that when death manifests in his flesh, he's at rest. Do you know why he's at rest? Because he's got a life that overcomes death. Right. Eternal life is the only thing that can resist sin. And so the way he resists in us is he gets up inside of us with all of himself and all of his eternal life. And that eternal life starts warring against the death that we encounter. And it, what it does is we stop coming down off the cross. We give up the ghost. That's what giving up the ghost is. And when we stop coming down off the cross, not by our willpower, not because we think it's the good and the right thing, but because we've got our eyes fixated on what God did to resist death in the flesh. Listen, you'll find that born in you. There's a grace there. There's a strength that starts working in you. Right? It's a passive action. Right. Yeah. Passive action is you ain't really doing the work, but then you benefit from a work that was done. And so resisting sin is actually a passive action. You don't resist. 
You set your eyes on the one who did resist, looking unto Jesus, the beginning and end of the faith. And what happens is, is that resists in you. That's why it just said in Hebrews 11, by the faith, this guy did this. By the faith, this guy did that. What faith? The faith that was revealed in the Lord Jesus. And so the way we resist sin isn't by trying not to do bad things. It's by beholding Jesus and him resisting sin. And then that strengthens us with the grace of our Lord. You know what it strengthens us to do? Not come down off the cross. Not trying to take up our own life when the world comes to us and nails us to the tree. Every single one of you guys have been nailed to a tree. That's why Jesus, I mean, why do you think Jesus was nailed to a tree? Because the world was nailing us to a tree. And God comes to do something in us that when the world comes and nails us to the tree, we don't try to come down off the cross. We don't try to take up our own lives. We don't pick up the sword trying to resist death in the flesh. But what we do is we behold the one who resisted death in the flesh. And that puts us to rest even in the midst of being nailed to the tree by the world. And then we find grace and we find the mercy of God. And we have a good cry with God because we know that death isn't right. But then we find a supernatural strength manifesting in us because we know we have a life that overcomes death. Right? That's help in your time of need. Amen. Sorry, Billy. <laughs> That's right. Um, uh, my mentor, he was an older guy, um, actually went to a church I was going to, which was legalistic. And um, I said to him one time, I, I felt comfortable with him, and I said, I knew I wasn't as I should be because I wasn't performing all the, I heard people say I'm fine, I'm fine. I know there's times I wasn't fine, but I was saying I'm fine. I felt like a fake. And I, and I had lunch with him and I said, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, I'm not as I should be. I'm not even sure I'm a Christian. He said, rejoice, my friend. <laughs> rejoice? What are you talking about? He said, I'm talking about God working in your life like you did Paul. Paul believed that about the tree of good and evil. God showed him the tree of life. God's showing you the tree of life. You and then when when Greg said to Cindy, uh, you are as you should be. When he when you when I saw that sign, that thought years ago of that man saying to me, You are as you should be. You are exactly where you should be. Even Paul said, I'm learning. I'm learning the, the enemy, their, their schemes. And so that I never, ever forgot that. Um, and so when those things come upon me, um, I know my father is showing me the truth about the lie I have believed. Yeah, yeah that's it. Right? You, you despise yourself for the weakness. Like all of us have something, and no one had to teach us that weakness isn't good. Did anybody sat you down in a classroom and tell you weakness wasn't good, or did you just know it when you felt it? So that's one of the problems. That's why the world is so effective in deceiving us. Because we feel weakness, and immediately we know weakness is not born from life. And we judge ourselves. If the weakness isn't as it ought to be, then we must not be as we ought to be. And then you start despising yourself for the weakness. Right? Well, one of the things God did for me to remove me despising myself for weakness is he showed me 
what happened to him when he put on my skin suit. Because we're talking about God Almighty. Why do I feel weakness? i got to get rid of this. What's wrong with me? It must be something wrong with me that I feel this weakness. And God was like, Greg, what do you make of Jesus sweating blood? Because he knew that I believed Jesus was sinless. And there was nothing wrong with Jesus. What do you make of Jesus sweating blood? Do you think Jesus wasn't as he ought to be because he was sweating blood? And I was like, no. He was like, well, do you think he felt weakness? Because the man is sweating blood. I was like, yes, he's feeling weakness. He said, then how can the weakness be a sign that he isn't as he ought to be? And I was like, it can't. He said, how can it be a sign that you're not as you ought to be? And I started twisting on that. And then he really came and blew it up. He said, Greg, I know you hadn't got there yet because you're just identifying yourself in Jesus. But, you know, Hebrews begins by saying that Jesus is the express image of God. Paul says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the beginning of all creation, Jesus. So Jesus is God Almighty. When God Almighty... Now remember, we're all despising ourselves for how we behave in this world and how we feel weakness and all these things. When God Almighty put on your skin suit and stood in the face of what you face every day, He sweat blood. God. Now when He said that to me, I immediately stopped despising myself for weakness. And I immediately stopped judging weakness as a sign that I was separated from God or that I was separated from life. Immediately, I was able to identify with God in the place of feeling weakness. And you know what was there? When you, when you see yourself in the face of God when you feel weakness, and you see that he's, He knows, like He's intimately acquainted. When you're feeling weakness, and you think it's wrong, that something's not right, and He shows you His hands, and He shows you the piercing in His side, and He says, I know what you're feeling. Me too. Immediately it draws you into this supernatural, dynamic, intertwining, braiding together with the Lord. And I promise you in that place, you know what? You all of a sudden feel strong. Yeah. And your weakness has been replaced by the strength of the Lord. Right? Because you see, He knows. We, we got this, we have so much separation between us and God. Right? We, we look at ourselves and then we look at God. And we don't see how closely related we are. And then we despise ourselves for how we behave and how we feel and the things that we go through. And God doesn't despise us because God's like, well, these people that were never intended to see death, they're in a world surrounded by death. Right. He understands how that might affect us. Right? And then he shows us, listen, guys, I know you think there's something wrong with you because the death is affecting you this way. But I'm going to come as almighty God. And I'm going to show you the way the death affects me. Right? And then right in that place, you start understanding what the scriptures talk about, the bowels of mercy. You start understanding what Brennan Manning talked about. Um, go read the Ragamuffin Gospel if you haven't read that book. You start talking about that, where he tells a story about a Hasidic priest said he learned the meaning of love from two drunkards in a bar. When the one said to the other, I love you, man. And the other one says, if you love me, tell me what hurts me. And the guy says to his friend, I don't know what hurts you. What are you talking about? And he says, if you don't know what hurts me, how can you say you love me? And then Brandon Manning goes into the explanation of the Greek word splagizomo. And it talks about Jesus being moved in the deepest part of his being with compassion. It's talking about Jesus being intimately acquainted with what hurts us. 
with what makes us feel weak, intimately acquainted, meaning he understands how it could do this to us. He's got compassion that this could happen, right? And it's like with the support group. Why do, you go, why do people go to a support group? You know why they go to a support group? Because they say those people have walked in my shoes. They won't judge me. I'm not, I won't feel ashamed to share what I've gone through. Right? I feel comfort there. It's okay because they all know. Right? God's trying to come into the earth to be our support group. And the way he, he, he comes to be our support group is he shows us that he knows. That he's intimately acquainted with what death and sin does to people. He knows why we could find ourselves trying to come down off the cross and doing what we do. He felt it himself. He heard the voices. And when you see that, man, you start showing up in the throne room every day because that's your support group. And you start talking with the God that knows. He showed you his hands. Me too, man. I know. Right? So, glory to God. we got to go in there now. You got-